We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what's going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much for locking in today, whether it's on the audio side via Spotify or, or Apple, or whether you're checking this out on video via YouTube. Appreciate all you guys for tuning in. Uh, coming up in just a couple minutes. So I took to Twitter over the weekend and I asked fans to give me your take on the Buffalo Bills offseason. I wanted your take, the good, the bad, the ugly, what you've liked about this offseason, what you haven't liked, some things that maybe you still hope the Buffalo Bills are going to do. Are you completely satisfied? Whatever it may be, I wanted your takes. And uh, you guys delivered some really good tweets. And I'm going to read them all for you in just a couple minutes. That's what we're basically going to do today. Um, also, so tomorrow, so today's Tuesday, Wednesday, on the show, I'm going to have Aaron Quinn back and we're going to do version two of our Buffalo Bills mock draft. This will be week two of a uh, recurring five-week series. Aaron and I doing a different Buffalo Bills mock each week. Last week was uh, really interesting and I'll get to that later on in in this show. So anyway, that will be tomorrow. Uh, before I get going with today's show, I, I just wanted to spend a, a couple seconds here kind of explaining what happened in a little bit more detail because some of you, especially if, I mean, if you follow the show regularly or if you follow me on Twitter or on Facebook, you know that I was supposed to do a, a bonus episode, so to speak, on Friday, um, an Oscars episode. It was going to be entirely about the Oscars, um, a preview of the Oscars, some predictions, and I was going to do it with uh, my buddy Ben Matheson, who's never been on the show before. That was the plan, and I was scheduled to take that late Thursday night for a, uh, a Friday morning drop. Um, as many of you know now, again, if you follow me on Twitter or, or you know, if you just know me, uh, you know what happened. Thursday night, I ended up in a really bad, uh, pretty bad car wreck. Uh, and not pretty bad. I mean, I like pretty much, uh, I told my car. Got in a bad car accident um, Thursday night around 7.30 or so in South Buffalo. And, uh, you know, it sucked. <laughs> it 
it hurt, man. There's, there's, there's no way around it. So I, I'll tell you briefly because a lot of people have been asking and, and thank you for the well wishes, of course, um, exactly what happened. So it was around, like I said, around seven 30 on Thursday night, I was driving in South Buffalo. I don't know, you know, if you guys listening, how, how well, you know, that area, but there's a, an area called McClellan circle where it's kind of a roundabout. And then you go up McKinley towards like the end of South Buffalo and into, uh, Lackawanna before McKinley ultimately ends. Anyway, so I was about a block, a block and a half away from uh, or past that roundabout, right on McKinley and, and Whitfield. And I'm driving up and there was a, a guy who was at a stop sign and, and he did stop at the stop sign on McKinley and Whitfield. But he quite literally, I don't know, for whatever reason, he didn't look to his right or something. He never saw me. And as I was getting close, going at, I don't know, normal speed, right around the speed limit. He comes out. And for like a split second, I, I thought maybe he was coming out and, and turning right, but he just went straight, man. I mean, he literally cut right in front of me and I tried to stop. You know, I, I started breaking, and, but it was too late. And I ended up hitting the guy, the, the front of my car head on, and hit the back ish part of his passenger side. And, uh, it was bad. It, it was, it was really bad. And it was very, uh, it was, it was scary. It was very scary. Um, I'm not going to sit here and get, especially, you know, talking on social media where the whole world has the ability to know every little intimate detail of what happens. You know, I've been advised, you know, don't talk about it because of insurance stuff. But in this case, look, man, this isn't a he said, she said. I had the right away and the other person didn't. It, it's cut and dry. Anyway, so I hit him pretty hard and it's it's a blur in some ways, but I, I do remember, well, let me say this too. If you happen to be watching on the YouTube side right now as opposed to listening, I had put a graphic up. The picture of my front of my car, it's, it's bad. It's total. <laughs> it's probably beyond repair. I mean, the, the hood is smashed in, the, the frame of the car is bent, the taillights hanging, the radiator busted. Um, I hit him, like I said, about as fast as I was going, I had a chance to break, but not all the way. Swerved a little bit anyway. It could have probably been worse. But so it happened so fast, man. And I remember, well, in one way, it felt like a millisecond, but in another way, like the the time between the impact of the accident and the airbag deploying and hit hitting me, which by the way, that shit was hard, man. <laughs> that hurt. The airbag went off and, and it hurt. So I, I remember the impact. I remember the airbag going off and hitting me. And, and then I just, like I said, I just remember complete fear taking over. Um, I got out of my car like within a split second because I kept thinking in my mind, I, first of all, I've never been in a car accident before anything like that. And, you know, it's not like I have experience with this, nor should anybody have experience. But I, I at first, my first thought was I got to get out of my car. Who knows if it's going to explode or catch fire or whatever. And I just remember the smell too. Like you could smell the burning. You could smell the, the, the airbag got in my nose. And by the way, it's stuck there for another 24 hours. But anyway, so I get out of my car. I fall down instantly. Um, within seconds, I'm just in complete 
like shocked with adrenaline going on. I remember my left forearm and my right knee and my shoulder. I'm grabbing it immediately. And I'm just kind of sort of rolling away from my car, which by the way, thankfully it, it never blew up or anything like that. And I should also say too, end of the day, the other guy, um, by all indications was fine. He was just shaken up as well. But I remember within a couple of minutes, the police come, uh, a couple of fire, a fire truck game, a couple of firefighters and you know, they're checking us out, seeing, seeing if I'm okay. And then once they realize I'm not like seriously injured, you know, they start asking for, for details and stuff like that to file the report. But I just remember being so shaken and I didn't really feel anything at first because again, adrenaline shock just completely takes over your body. Um, so that happened. I ended up going to the Mac center in Orchard park, which by the way, shout out to them, man. They were so good and it was in and out. It was so quick. I go in there, um, because by this point I'm starting to get headaches and, and, and stuff. So they take a CAT scan on my head and they take, uh, an X-ray on my knee and the X-ray came back, like just bone bruises. And, uh, I was diagnosed with, uh, a moderate concussion and sent home Tylenol only, you know, no ibuprofen and just, uh, you know, go home and rest. So that was my Thursday night, folks. It was, um, it was not fun. It was scary. It was more scary than anything. And it's been a handful of days now and I feel much better. Like I really don't have headaches right now. My, my knee's fine. Uh, I get my left ankle sore. I got like, uh, some bruises, like on my left shin, my, my left forearm, my left shoulder is really sore. Um, and, and my neck's stiff. My neck still hurts. But all in all, I, I know how fortunate and blessed I am because, like I said, the uh, the airbag deploying, and I'm telling you, I, I mean, who knows what would have happened if it didn't. I mean, I had my seatbelt on and everything, but still, I mean, I hit that thing pretty hard even with the airbag deploying. I don't know how hard I would have hit that dashboard or, or gotten jerked um without it but just it going out it was just so scary guys i mean it was again it, it only took a couple seconds but in some ways it felt like an eternity just that instance so i'm all right knock on wood <laughs> knock on wood i'm okay i'm i'm just shaking up like i said and i'm very 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 sore but all things considered what could have been i know how fortunate i am especially like I said, the car could be replaced, whether it's getting repaired or whatever, get a new car. Those are replaceable. Human life and and quality of life is not replaceable. So no, I expect to be fine soon. And um, I'm just, I'm very lucky, lucky and uh, very fortunate, all things considered. And uh, one last thing, and I know this might seem like a small thing, but I, I'll tell you this. So and I'm not talking about my close family and friends and stuff like that. Of course, they obviously were concerned. But once I knew I was like not in danger, like grave danger, I posted on Twitter. I tweeted out what happened because, I mean, some people were expecting a show on Friday. We do a show every Friday and there was none. And uh, <laughs> actually, quick little anecdote. Somehow, through the shock and adrenaline of going off, even though I'm in pain, one of the first things I did was send a, a direct message to Ben Matheson saying, oh, yeah, so the show we're supposed to do tonight, not going to happen, just in a bar, bad car crash. And I had a picture of the car almost immediately, and I and I sent it to him. So somehow I had the wherewithal to let Ben know I wasn't going to do the show. But anyway, what, what I was trying to say was this. People on Twitter 
and people on my Facebook, it, both flooded with well thoughts and wishes for a speedy recovery. And I'll tell you what, it meant a lot. It truly did. It, it meant a lot. It it made me feel when it's Thursday night and all day Friday, even into Saturday, seeing people taking just a couple seconds out of their life to, to wish you well, let you know that they care about you and let you know that they're thinking about you and that they hope everything works out. It means a lot, man. It means a lot. It truly does. I'm, I'm very appreciative and, uh, and I'm very humbled and grateful to have people who care. You know, they ain't got to be your best friends. It could be strangers. Just, it means, listen, when something happens to somebody, when you're going through something, whether it's an illness, an injury, uh, uh, you're mourning, you're grieving the loss of somebody, just taking a couple seconds from your day to let someone know that you're thinking of them. It means a, excuse my language, it means a fucking lot. It really does. And it mentally helped me through it. Because I mean, this shit sucks, man. I don't know what's going to happen with my car. Um, I'm sitting here for at least the first couple of days. It's like, am I going to get worse? I don't know. And um, anyway, th those well wishes, they truly meant a lot to me. So do that for people. I got a different perspective. I can tell you that. I feel very lucky right now, folks. I really do. I'm I'm beat up a little bit still. I mean, it's been four or five days now. I'm still beat up. I'm still very sore. But I know it could have been worse. I don't have any scars. I ain't even got any scratches on my face. My face didn't hit any glass or anything. Thank God, any stuff like that. So I know how lucky I am. But I, I do have a whole new perspective because I know how bad it could have been. And so thank you, man. Thank you to everyone out there for uh, for reaching out and, and for caring. Your boy's all right, man. Your boy's all right. Now, what I was annoyed about once I was okay, what annoyed me was the Oscars. Not being able to do the Oscars episode, I should say. That, that really annoyed me a lot because there were... So if you added up the six major categories, which is best picture, best actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, and best director. There were 17 movies to watch to, ha to, to have an informed, educated opinion on all of them, who should win, who shouldn't win. I watched 17 Oscar movies between January and February to get ready for this episode, for this Oscars, because I knew that I wanted to do an episode devoted entirely to the Oscars. And by the way, so before this happened on uh, on Thursday night last week, I had my show notes and all this stuff done because again, I was going to tape with Ben Matheson. Ben is a, a big time movie buff. He lives in Tennessee. He's been a lifelong Sabres fan. Anyway, and very knowledgeable when it comes to movies and music and all kinds of other stuff. But I had the show notes typed out. In fact, I remember the title of the show was literally going to be our totally self-indulgent Oscars preview and prediction show because this was totally a selfish, self-indulgent uh, episode that I was going to do, devoted entirely to the Oscars. So I was really angry that I didn't get an opportunity to uh, to do this episode. Very angry. Uh, 
So in terms of the Oscars, and then I'm going to get into, uh, like I said, your Buffalo Bills takes in just a couple of minutes here. But fuck that shit, man. Again, I watched over 40 hours, more than 40 hours worth of Oscar movies just so I could have an opinion and a take on the Oscars themselves when, when the show went off um, Sunday night. I would say, now looking back, the uh, not any real surprises except for one, which I'm very, very happy about. More on that in a second. But I, I, I will say this too. If there's the highlight for me personally, besides the very end, which again, I'll get to in a second, there were some highlights of the show and obviously we all know what happened. I'll get to that in just a second as well. But for me, man, a, a highlight of the show were acceptance speeches for, for both Troy Kutzer and for Ariana um, DeBose. They were elegant speeches. He won for, Troy won for Best Supporting Actor in CODA, and she won for Best Supporting Actress in West Side Story. And I still tweeted out all my predictions, who I thought was going to win, who I think should win. And these two, not surprises. I mean, they were locks, but just the speeches, man. Troy, again, obviously, he's deaf and, and doesn't speak, but he communicated via sign and, and talked about his father being the best signer he, you know, he's ever been around and him getting in an accident and being paralyzed and dedicating that to him. I thought that was an amazing moment for, for the show. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, of course, Ariana won for best supporting actress and she talked about, you know, be, she was the first openly queer woman to, uh, to win the Oscar. I, I just, I, I thought both speeches were, were very elegant, very classy. And, and very well done. I, I really enjoyed that part a lot. That was my favorite, well, second favorite part of the show. Uh, the low light, I mean, <laughs> you already know what we're talking about here. W Will Smith doing what he did to Chris Rock. Look, man, here, here's my take on that. And I'll, I'll make this quick because everyone in the world's talking about this uh, today. I I just thought it was some weak ass shit, man. I really do. I, Chris, Look, Chris Rock made a joke. He's a comedian. And that's what they do at these shows. He made a joke. Um, it it might've been a bad joke. It was, it was a bad joke, bad taste. Um, shouldn't have said it. I, I also, I think there's a good chance as I'm recording this, I don't know if he even knows that Jada had this condition that made her struggle with, with hair loss. I'm not sure if he even knew about it. So was it a bad joke? Was it in bad taste? Absolutely, man. No question. That's not debatable. But I'll say this, man. First of all, these things have been going on for ages at just comedians. That's what comedians do, including shows like the Oscars. Ricky Gervais has said a lot of false shit about a lot of people. You know, Amy Schumer literally during this telecast poked fun at Leonardo DiCaprio for dating younger women. You know? Is Leo going to go on stage and strangle her ass? No. No. I thought what Will Smith did was very, uh, it was just some weak shit. Now, look, he's got beef with Chris Rock. He's defending his way. He's mad about what was said about his wife. That part, I completely understand. 100%. But here's the thing, man. The world's watching you. Go confront him backstage. Go confront him at one of the 10 million after parties that are going on once the Oscars are over, confront him another time. To do that on that stage, 
on live television, which by the way, I'm sure like all of you, at least for a couple seconds, it felt like, is this a work? Using a wrestling term, was this a shoot? Was this a work? It felt like it was staged at first until we started seeing on Twitter um, some versions of the video where he's clearly swearing at him. Keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. And he's screaming it at the top of his lungs and he does it twice. At that point, you're like, yo, this shit's real. Again, I get being mad. Now you say what you want about her. I know a lot of people are saying, well, her, uh, her, their open marriage, her cheating on him multiple times, whatever. N none of that shit matters. My point is this. I get, if you got beef with Chris Rock, that's fine. But just that, that's crazy. And then when he won, which is the most fucked up thing of all of it, man, is so this guy is 10, 15 minutes away from winning the Oscar for best supporting or for best actor, lead actor. This is the biggest moment of his career. Professionally, this is going to be the biggest moment of his life. And everybody knew he was going to win best actor. I mean, he won pretty much every show on the award circuit. He was the overwhelming favorite. We knew his ass was going to win best actor. And forever now, the biggest moment of his career, his life is tainted. It's completely overshadowed. In his speech, raw emotion, I'll give him that. I'm not saying that part was phony, but I just don't agree with a lot of what he said too. Love, he said something along the lines of love will make you do crazy things. That, that's a cop-out, man. That's a cop-out. I just, I, I, I think it's shitty. And I, I think it's shitty. And I think it's also unfair. You know, if you, it's one thing to taint your own big moment, your own, uh, again, the biggest moment of, of your career. It's one thing to do that to yourself. But now, what are we talking about today, folks? What am I talking about right now? What are you listening to? Whether it's me, whether you're turning on e-news, the regular news, the world news, whatever it is, everybody's talking about the slap. Ain't nobody talking about Troy Kurtzer winning for best supporting actor or Ariana DeBois winning for, for best supporting actress or Jessica Chastain winning best actress. People aren't talking about that. They're talking about Will Smith and what he did. And they're, they he stole the spotlight. He overshadowed what other people have accomplished. And that to me is the shitty part. And I know a lot of people are like, well, the Oscars are boring. It's an irrelevant award show. Sure. Doesn't excuse what happened. So that pisses me off. And I'm happy because again, the, the, uh, the biggest thing for me, because I refuse to let Will Smith, that incident define these Oscars, because for me personally, and if you follow me on Twitter, quite frankly, I've been annoying about it for the last few months. I have been advocating over and over and over and over again for the movie Coda since the, since I watched it and I've watched it twice since watching it originally too, about a month and a half ago, I have told anybody who's going to listen, this is the best movie of the year. Now, you know what? It's not just the best movie of the year. It's the best movie that I've seen personally. And I've tweeted this a few times since Forrest Gump. That's how much I love this movie. I was rooting for this movie so hard. I was rooting for this movie when they announced best picture and Liza Minnelli said Coda. I'm telling you right now, folks, I got up. I fist pumped. I was excited. Like the Buffalo Bills had just scored a big touchdown in the fourth quarter to retake the lead at Kansas City. That's how excited I was about Coda winning best picture. I was thrilled and I still am thrilled. Great movie. Awesome movie completely deserved. And I know there's a lot of people out there right now who are saying, 
yeah, it was cute. It was charming. But the plot, the writing, this and that, very bland. Maybe. Maybe. Sure, it's not the uh, most complex. It's not the most layered story that's ever, ever movie that's been written in Hollywood. I understand that. I agree with that. But you know what, man? This movie was superbly casted. This movie was superbly acted. This movie was, you know, it's sometimes you don't need to have these fancy, intricate, layered plots. Sometimes if it's done right, if you have the right cast and they're doing their job right, sometimes you can have an awesome movie, an epic movie, simply, simply, but just feeling good, man. It's okay to feel good. And when you watch Coda, you feel good. I watched Coda. I cried. I cried. You probably have too if you watched it. And by the way, if you haven't watched it, go watch this shit, man, because it's an awesome movie. So I'm really happy Coda won. Really happy that Coda won. I'm very, uh, I'm happy for the other people who won. But I, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not going to go as far to say I'm sicken. I mean, that but it might be a little bit uh, melodramatic here. But I'm very, uh, I'm disgusted by what Will Smith did. I, I just think it's bullshit. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I My mind gets a little twisted when I when I even think about it. It just, it felt self-righteous to me. Um, again, I'm not going to go as far to say that he knew what he was going to do. But it just, it took away from him, which screw him if that's how he wants to be. But it, it took away from a lot of other people and a lot of other moments that, that should be more deserving because we should be talking and celebrating about that instead of talking about Will Smith smacking the shit out of Chris Rock and uh, West Philadelphia born and raised memes and all that kind of shit going on social media. I hated that. But anyway, I'm going to take a real quick break. and I'm going to come right back and uh, I'm going to get to your Buffalo Bills offseason takes. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back here. And like I said, I'm going to jump into a handful of tweets that I got from you guys, and it's involving the Buffalo Bills offseason. I wanted to know, instead of hearing just me talk about it or other people that I've had on this podcast, I wanted to know what your offseason takes were. Good, bad, ugly. Obviously, um, there's been a lot of 
activity going on. So I expected uh, most of these to be on the positive side. And for the most part, they have been. So let's just jump into that right now. And let's start with Carlin Sullivan, who tweeted, uh, the addition of Von Miller is jaw-dropping. The impact he will have on that whole line is going to be more than words. Happy that it seems Bean has gotten the defensive line right after trying for a few years. Very, very excited overall. All right, good tweet. Um, Sure. I mean, what's there to not be? If you're a Buffalo Bills fan and you're not excited right now at adding Von Miller, and then I don't know realistically what you were looking for to begin with. You know, this was a great signing, and I've talked about this a little before, and I'll, I'll say it again. So we've done some pre-free agency episodes on this podcast where we discussed many defensive ends. I remember talking about guys like Melvin Ingram. I remember talking about Chandler Jones was obviously a guy that we spent a lot of time and energy uh, focused on. Uh, JPP, there, there are a few others. Maybe bring it back Jerry Hughes that was talked about extensively. Never really uh, discussed Von Miller much because, quite frankly, again, until quite literally the second where an Ian Rappaport tweet popped up saying the Bills were signing Von Miller to a, a six-year, $120 million deal, I never honestly, realistically thought that Von Miller would go to the Bills. So I didn't spend any time talking about it, man. Uh, I, I was really locked in on Chandler Jones. And the reason why is because the expectation was Von Miller was either going to A, resign with the Rams, B, go back to Denver, or see if there was going to be a dark horse team. Um, the Dallas Cowboys were mentioned a lot. So I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. And it was kind of like almost stunned, just like most of you guys, that they signed him. So sure. And in terms of Brandon Bean, I'm glad you said that, Carlin, because for all the things Brandon Bean has done well, which is many things, defensive line has not been um, Brandon Bean's biggest strength. I mean, there's been some misses, quite frankly. I mean, I thought, I mean, Mario Addison was a decent signing. I'm not going to say he was a bad signing. He was pretty good. He was an older veteran. We knew what we were going to get from him. And I think for the most part, that's what he was. But I know like Quinton Jefferson, I, I, I was hoping to get more out of him. Vernon Butler over the last two years, not very good. Star Latutile didn't quite work out. I'm not certainly not going to blame Brandon Bean for that. But I mean, between COVID and, and injuries, he just, uh, we never got what we were fully hoping for out of him, at least not with any consistency anyway. And then uh, you go back to the, the not um, last year, but two years ago in the draft, using their second round pick, their first overall pick uh, on A.J. Epinesa, who after two years, I, I think there's a lot more questions and answers with him. A lot more questions and answers with him uh, going forward. Um, you know, it hasn't been a complete source of strength with with uh with with Brandon Bean. So and I mean we'll see. I mean they used two picks last year on rookie uh defensive ends who certainly flashed, especially Greg Rizzo. But yeah, anyway, getting back, circling back to Vaughn Miller, look, I think he's gonna help in a lot of ways. Um on the field, off the field, which leads to another tweet right here from uh 
Stardust at Whitey26515, who says, Seriously, the Miller signing was not only a boost to a demoralized locker room, but a signal to everyone this is a franchise with an open to, to winning it all. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you don't, first of all, again, going back to the, the suddenness and at least semi-surprise of Vaughn Miller getting signed here, it just didn't seem to fit the ammo of what Brandon Bean likes to do. Brandon Bean likes to draft for the present, but mainly the future, like he did last year with Rizzo and Boogie and, and Spencer Brown, who was not supposed to be a starting right tackle in year one. It's just the way things worked out, which is good. But anyway, you draft, you draft, you draft, and you plug some holes via free agency, and you put your resources, your, your the majority of your money into your own. You resign your own, you extend your own. That seems to be the Brandon Bean philosophy. So to go out and spend huge money on Vaughn Miller, which essentially is like, what, a three-year, $53 million deal or something like that. That does say, if there was any question if Brandon Bean's priority is winning right now, signing Vaughn Miller answered that. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't trying to win. Like, if they didn't sign Vaughn Miller, if they couldn't land him, and even if they brought back Jerry Hughes, I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that Brandon Bean isn't trying to win right now. But going and signing a Vaughn Miller tells me that in many ways, they're all in right now. They're all in right now. Um, I, I, I will say this too, a boost to a demoralized locker room. I, I think what you're saying here is that the locker room's demoralized from the way they lost to Kansas City, which... To some extent, sure. Although I think at this point, although uh, it still hurts and that's not going to change anytime soon, I, I think calling the, the locker room demoralized right now might be a uh, a bit of a stretch. But again, I do think it's uplifting. I think it's an uplifting move for sure, 100%. Because again, you're showing your guys that I'm willing to do what it takes right now to, uh, to go all in and, and win it all. Um, one more tweet here about well, mainly regarding Von Miller's from Pete Nana. He says, it's been a great offseason. We added a future Hall of Famer to our roster. We have holes left to be filled, but we're literally the Super Bowl favorite. Things are good. Good tweet. You know, one more thing about Von Miller, too. I don't think fans right now should have the expectation that Von Miller, who's going to be 33 years old. In fact, I think he is 30, 33 years old, literally this week, actually. Don't expect him to come in and have 16, 17 sacks. He ain't going to put up TJ Watt numbers. He ain't going to put up Bosa numbers, if if either Bosa, if either of those guys could stay healthy for 17 weeks, I don't think he's going to give you that kind of week-to-week consistent production. I don't think his stats are going to blow you away. In fact, he might start out slow to the point where people are like, well, man, we could have just brought back Jerry Hughes for a third of the money, a quarter of the money. I think where Vaughn Miller's true value is going to come in is I think it's going to be late in the season. I think it's going to be a big fourth quarter in, in a must-win game, whether it's to lock down your division, whether it's to secure home field advantage or whatever it may be, Von Miller's, he's got that clutch gene. That's the best thing about Von Miller. He's got that clutch gene. He will get you that big sack in the fourth quarter. He, a strip sack, whatever, whatever it takes. He's a winner. The guy has won a Super Bowl twice on two teams, which by the way, if the Bills were to win a Super Bowl and Von Miller actually plays in the Super Bowl, 
He'd be the first player in the history of the NFL to win a Super Bowl playing for three teams. Matt Millen did it with three different teams, but he didn't play on all three. Von Miller would be the first. But anyway, your man's clutch. He's a clutch player. He plays his best in the big moments. We saw it just last year in the Super Bowl. He literally was the MVP of the Super Bowl when Denver smacked Carolina around. So this guy's a clutch player. He's going to come on late in the season, assuming, of course, and hopefully he can stay healthy. He's going to be that guy who gets you the biggest play in the biggest moments. And we all know from Sportsman that the best athletes, the best players, they're at their best when it means the most. As a lifelong Yankee fan, that was my favorite thing about Derek Jeter. Good, very good player during the regular season. But when the lights were the brightest, when it was October, November, that's where you would see the best of Derek Jeter. And that's kind of how I feel about Von Miller right now. So, yeah, man. There's, and you say holes to be filled. Well, do they really, though? Do they really got a lot of holes to fill right now? I don't think they have any holes to fill. Maybe you can argue corner. Maybe. You can argue corner, Trey White. Got to hope he's going to be healthy. Dane Jackson, serviceable, but I don't think he's a proven cornerback too right now. I won't go that far. So maybe that's a semi-hole, but aside from that, not really. And by the way, we're literally the Super Bowl favorite. Literally, we meaning the Buffalo Bills. Well, they are. I'll tell you this though. They were literally the Super Bowl favorite before Von Miller signed. They were the Vegas betting favorite before Von Miller signed. Good tweet. Thanks, Pete. All right, let's go to my man, Brother Bill. He says, uh, Brother Bill 716, of course, I'm talking about. Uh, love most of it, but for the price Levi was signed, he's talking about Levi Wallace, but for the price Levi was signed away for, felt we should have gotten him back. Coming off his best season and filling in for Trey admirably. For the price and knowing Trey probably won't be healthy right away, seemed like a safe, smart guy to keep. Thanks, Bill. Um, I, I'm, I'm, let me say this. I like Levi Wallace. I don't like Levi Wallace as much as my man Aaron Quinn from Cover One does. By the way, again, I'm going to plug it again. Tomorrow, Bill's Mock Trap version two with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. That'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about corner. But yeah, I, I like Levi. I thought he was pretty good. I thought last year was far and away his best season. I thought when Trey went down last year, uh, Levi stepped up. I thought he played really well. Not great in the Kansas City game. But you know what, Tyreek? If you want to say Tyreek Hill scorched Levi Wallace last year in the playoffs, that's fine. That's fair. But you know what Tyreek Hill also did? He scorched Trey White the year before in the playoffs. So I think Levi Wallace was pretty good. I think that fans, and by the way, the contract projections going into free agency were having him make eight to nine million a year. I remember Spotrack had that. So I think that was the expectation. I think a lot of fans thought he might be gone because of the contract that he would get. But as it turns out, to, to, uh, to Brother Bill's point, Levi Wallace ended up going to Pittsburgh just two years and eight million, which was very surprising. So this is what that tells me this when it comes to the Bills. I think fans and maybe media content creators certainly value Levi Wallace more than the organization does because that's not a lot of money. Surely, and I'm, by the way, let's assume 
that Levi Wallace wanted to come back to Buffalo. Let's make that assumption. Because if you want to assume that, then that means had the Bills given the same amount of money Pittsburgh offered that Levi would have came back. That's an assumption, though. You don't know that for sure. Maybe Levi, for whatever reason, maybe he wanted to go somewhere else. Maybe he wanted to go somewhere else. You know, I've had this thought. I haven't really talked about it much, but when you go back to those last 13 seconds of that Kansas City game where a lot of people were mad at Levi Wallace for, for playing outside and so deep, allowing those two free catches, basically, maybe that bothers him a lot. Maybe, maybe he's angry that the coaches didn't step up and take more accountability, whether that's Frazier, whether that's McDermott. I'm not talking about general accountability. I'm talking about specific accountability because that kind of made Levi Wallace look bad, you know? What is he doing out there? But he was probably doing what he was coached, what he was supposed to do. I know Tyler Dunn wrote about it. Your boy don't go Vogue. He was doing what he was supposed to do. So anyway, I mean, there's at least that possibility that maybe Levi wanted to go somewhere else. I don't think so, but I, I at least think that's a possibility. But anyway, getting back to what we're talking about here, this was a, a football decision by Brandon Bean, I think. It wasn't really a financial decision because $4 million for a starting corner in the NFL, somebody who's been on your team for, what, three years as a starter? That's pretty goddamn cheap, man. That's pretty cheap. And you didn't bring him back. That tells me that either A, they think Dane Jackson is just as good as him and will start alongside a healthy Trey White, or B, they're going to address it in the draft early, or C, they think at some point with a lot of these veteran corners that are lingering right now in free agency, that they'll pick one up cheaper. Maybe you get a one-year guy for two million bucks, something along those lines. Um, so yeah, it was not a, I don't think it wasn't a financial decision. And you know, if you want to talk about Brandon Bean and how much people are fans of him, you get, you kind of got to trust his, uh, his personnel motives. It just, it definitely feels to me like Levi Wallace was not a money decision. It feels to me like it was a hundred percent, um, a football decision to that point, judge Mathis, my man, Steve also, uh, over at cover one, he says, people care too much about cornerback and a Sean McDermott defense. If the guys up front are doing their jobs, you can cut corners to at cornerback to allocate those resources elsewhere. Sure. I, I mean, <laughs> whether you like whether you like what Steve is saying or whether you don't like what he's saying, I, I think it's true. The Bills for years now have not invested uh, significant resources into to corner. A couple of years ago, they signed Bonte Davis, an aging vet. You know how that worked out. Um, the next year, I think they brought Gaines back. That didn't work out. They brought back, or they didn't bring back. They they signed Josh Norman, whose best years were well behind him. He was okay, serviceable, I guess. Nothing special whatsoever, one and done. Last year, they literally didn't do anything at all. We were talking about cornerback being a hole last year, and they brought Levi Wallace back. They re-signed him for one year and like two million bucks. And then they didn't even draft a corner. Until late, like what, the sixth round or some shit like that? We kept talking about last year, which we're doing this year. Oh, the Bills are going to use a corner, but probably use a, a very early draft pick on a corner, maybe even first round. Well, they didn't do it last year either. So the ammo for this team to, to, to C's point, which I completely agree with, is they're not allocating resources to this position like 
maybe a lot of us fans and, and content creators think they should. Is that the right move? Well, I don't know. But to his point, if the guys up front are doing their job, then maybe having your CB2 doesn't matter as much. It's a fair point. Good point. All right, let's move on here. Get through the rest of these. Um, Tanawanda Proud. At Samso with a, a bunch of numbers. He says, love the bond signing as well as Saffold, Settle Jones, and bringing back Shaq and Phillips. Josh making Buffalo a free agent destination is incredible. Good point there, by the way. Being not upgrading at other guard or at CB is worrisome because we have a good idea of how he values CB. I love Dane, but if he is CB1, oh boy. Um, all right, a lot to unpack there. Roger Saffold, good signing. I love Tim Settle signing. So do a lot of people, by the way. A lot of people are out there saying right now he could be one of the best uh, NFL free agency low-key signings. Saquon Jones, he's talking about bringing back Shaq and Phillips. Maybe that works out. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not quite as high on that as a lot of other people are. I know it makes for good sentimental feel-good moments. Guys coming back to Buffalo because they want to be here. Guys who were pretty good players when they were here, but whatever. I, I don't think either player is going to have a significantly big role on this team, but whatever. Josh Macon, Buffalo free agent destination is incredible. I think there's some truth to that for sure. I'm not quite sure Buffalo's, uh, I think Von Miller coming here definitely now makes Buffalo a free agent destination. Um, I think a lot of people around the league recognize Josh Allen, everyone around the league, I should say, recognizes Josh Allen as one of the best players in the league. Still not quite ready to say free agent or uh, Buffalo's a destination yet. I think it's on its way to becoming one, but maybe not quite yet. Um, being upgrading or not upgrading the other guard or CB is worrisome. So now there's some stuff with Ryan Bates, which as we're taping this, he is coming back to Buffalo. We already know that now. The Bills have matched the Chicago Bears offer four years. I think he's getting like around 17 million the first 8.8 or something like that in the first two years, all guaranteed. Anyway, I don't agree with that because if you, we got they got Bates back, and they signed Roger Saffold, who I think is an upgrade over Darrell Williams because of the scheme fit with Cromer, if nothing else. Short-term, but a short-term upgrade anyway. Um, cornerback is worrisome. Look, I understand. You know, we just talked about Steve's point where they don't put that much stock into CB2 because they're going to rely on the other 10 guys to make that less important, and you can't dump heavy resources into every position on this football field. I agree with that, but um, it is... Don't say it's not worrisome because it is worrisome. Trey White is coming off an ACL injury and you never know. I hope, I expect to get 100% Pro Bowl caliber Trey White back. But until it happens, you never know. They did not bring back Levi. They didn't go on. And it's, at least as of this recording anyway, they haven't really done anything at corner. So if Dane Jackson is your number one CB1, oh boy, oh boy's right. That said, I don't know how much they're going to do at corner, but I, I'll tell you this. I, they're not going to just settle and, and do nothing at corner. So I think it's a little bit premature, a little too early to worry about the position right now. If it's May and the draft has passed and they haven't signed or traded for a veteran and or drafted one or two guys relatively early, then I'll be a little concerned, but not right now. Um, Sports Rock. Only Quams is not dropping a second-round center on Bates. Besides that, no complaints. All right, now, in fairness to him, this tweet was um, – sent before Bates ended up um, or the Bills ended up matching the, the Chicago offer for Bates. So I'll fly through that and then I'll kind of hit on all these. So that was from Sports Rock. Um, 
Salman Transporter says the Ryan situ Bates situation is bad. He played very well and helped them get to a point where the line was steady enough to compete for a championship. Not sure what the plan was there. And then uh, Joseph Goho says what he liked, and I'll unpack this too. Value in backup quarterback, didn't like not locking up Bates three years. He's their only young guard. Entire offensive line improved once he played. Mitch Morrison, Dion never played better. Cody Ford, please know what he, what, um, what he wishes. Joe wishes they did. McDermott take responsibility for 13 seconds. That's never going to go away. Um, find a dependable punt and kickoff returner. All right, so let's wrap up the Ryan Bates stuff because now it's irrelevant. They did sign him. I'll say this, and maybe I'm wrong. In fact, I very well could be wrong. But my take on it is, is this, man. I, I, I feel like Brandon Bean made a mistake. I think if he could go back and do it back or do it over, in fact, I'm confident if he could go back and do it over, he would have tendered um, the second round tender, which was the difference between Bates getting 2.4 and about 3.9 million. So it was like a one and a half million dollars. For one and a half million dollars, they could have worked on their own extension under their own terms and not had to match ultimately what Chicago gave them. To my knowledge, and I could be wrong, I'm pretty sure Ryan Bates is the only restricted free agent in the entire NFL to this point who's even been signed to an offer sheet where the other team was forced to have to match. So I think that Brandon Bean might have underestimated Ryan Bates' value throughout the league. Now. To Brandon Bean's credit, to his credit, if he made a mistake, and if that was a mistake, and I'm speculating, but if it was a mistake, to his credit, he righted a wrong. He could have doubled down and said, "Nah, we don't value this guy. We're not. He, we don't think he's as good as you fans do." And they could have just let him walk. They could have let him go to Chicago. Well, screw! I'm not going to pay him that money. He didn't. They matched the offer. I think. Brandon Bean took it, maybe he gambled that he'd be able to get away with. I mean, look, the salary cap might be a myth in a lot of ways. He might be able to kick that can down the road a lot. But it means something. And I think Brandon Bean was was hoping. I think he took a calculated gamble that he'd be able to get Bates under contract for 2.4, which is a 1.5 million savings, which is not nothing. Not when you're, you know, tight against the cap and free agency and you're signing as many guys like the bills are. So it's not nothing. And then maybe working on their own deal where he could have had a lower cap number now and a bigger one, maybe going forward. I think that's what Brandon Bean's thinking was, but again, to his credit, they signed him. Ultimately they signed him. And now the offensive line solidified. And I want to go back to the point that he made about, um, about the line. Entire offensive line improved once he played. That is true. Now, he wasn't, you know what's funny about Ryan Bates, which, by the way, good for him, man. He wasn't playing B. He wasn't playing C. He was, like, playing D. I mean, it took John Feliciano getting hurt and then not playing well. It took Cody Ford showing that he's definitely not the guy. It took, like, Bacher not playing well and getting significantly hurt, which, by the way, the Bills did re-sign him as well on Monday to a, a one-year deal. He'll be coming all the way back from an Achilles tendon injury, so we'll see how that plays out. But it took all that shit and Deion Dawkins being out with COVID um, at New England before Ryan Bates even got an opportunity to come into the game. He came in, 
Dawkins had to come in because of other injuries, Bacher getting hurt, and the offensive line just literally started gelling right away. So, yes, to, to Joe's point, the offensive line never played better, and Ryan Bates certainly deserves credit for his role in that, man. He really does. So props to him. I'm glad. At the end of the day, um, Greg Thompson, and I, I got to see if I can find that tweet, but he said, I'm looking right now. Greg, Greg from cover one, my man, Greg Thompson says, I can't begin to describe what a favor Bears GM Ryan Poles did by getting Rick Bates on a four-year deal for 17 million. With the 8.8 million in the first few years, they will do some restructures now, and then they'll have a starting guard locked up in 2024 and 2025 for 4.1 million each year. Fantastic value. All right, Greg is absolutely right. I mean, that is a fantastic value. Years three and four, you get a guard, Ryan Bates, who looks like a pretty solid starter, and you got him locked in for the next four years. Back half of the deal, only four point million, four point one million. That's great. I'll say this though: if Ryan Poles did him a favor, he certainly didn't do it on purpose because they were trying to get Ryan Bates, and I'm not sure that the Bills really wanted to have to pay eight point eight million over the first two years. But whatever, man, all's well that ends well. And then, of course, my man Nate Gary from WGR tweeted, someone please give my man Pat Moran tweets a Brandon Bean apology form. He's saying that because I, I'm i going to admit it, man. I thought I thought he was long gone. I thought he was long gone once he signed that offer sheet with Chicago. Actually, once he went to New England for a visit, I'm like, this, this guy's got two, three teams interested. Someone's going to pony up money. The Bills ain't paying that. They're too cash-strapped. And they're going to lose a guard. And now we have to go into the draft thinking offensive guard is certainly in play for round one. I was getting ready to take Kenyon Green in my next Bills mock draft or maybe finding a way to get Zion Johnson. Done now. All that shit's irrelevant now because of Brandon Bean. But anyway, Nate, yeah, man, I do got my uh, <laughs> I got my apology for him. A uh, couple more here and then we're done. Justin Giraldi said, the and he's great in the Bills, A-minus right now, sign Hayden or Vet Corner. A plus. Um, sure. <laughs> I don't really got much to add. I don't know if Joe Hayden changes the, the moves the needle from an A minus to uh to an A plus, but I, I get what he's saying. It would be nice to be able to sign um a guy like you know whether it's Hayden or or, or Steve Nelson, who I like more. That would be a good pick. Get a veteran guy. Don't sleep. And and I've been saying this too. James Bradbury's not playing for the Giants now. I have no earthly idea. What kind of magic Brandon V would have to pull to, to, to restructure and, and find the room. But if they can give up a mid-round pick and get New York Giants corner James Bradbury, who I know is very, very, very available in trades, man, now you're talking, that would be an A-plus season for me. So, all right, um, last couple here. Tim Whitcomb, I have total faith in Beam, but I'm afraid that if he lets Bates walk, he will regret it. Nope. Not an issue no more, buddy. I know he can bring Williams back, but I hate that his plan A. I was thinking about that too, by the way. If Brian Bates had went just for the sake of discussion, would they have brought him back Darrell Williams? I want to say no, because sure, the, the cap had something to do with them cutting him. But from what I've heard and read and understand, signing Roger Saffold and cutting Darrell Williams was as much about a football fit and scheme for how they want this offensive line to be than it was about Darrell Williams. They have good athletes on this line with the exception of Daryl Williams, who, by the way, I'm not criticizing and dissing the guy. I thought he was a pretty good guard. I think the problem with him last year where he was great in 2020 at right tackle, 
Last year, he struggled a little bit because I think in part he kept bouncing back between guard and tackle, and, and that sucked for him. But I think it was more about fit than money. Um, anyway, so he says, um, to continue with Tim's tweet, looking ahead to the draft, round one, best cornerback on the board, round two, best interior offensive lineman, round three, best linebacker, round four, Tavon Austin. Ain't going to be there, round four, buddy. Um, then best available. Um, quickly, which, by the way, that gives me an opportunity. I, I want to plug... Again, I want to go back to last week's Bills mock draft, which we did before um, the Bills re-signed Ryan Bates today, which didn't matter because we didn't take a guard early anyway. But to recap our mock draft that Aaron and, and Aaron Quinn and I did last week, Jordan Davis somehow fell all the way to us. And, and there's a reason why I'm talking about this right now too, by the way. So Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from Georgia, fell somehow and uh, the draft network model, he fell all the way to us at 25. Now, we don't need a defensive tackle. Hell, man, we got Ed Oliver. We signed Tim Settle. They signed Daquan Jones. They brought back Jordan Phillips. The Bills do not need a defensive tackle. However, when somebody as good as Jordan Davis falls to you, you ain't letting him fall no more. You took him. You got to take him. So that's what we did in our mock draft. And then we took Kenneth Walker to third, a running back from Michigan, who, by the way, was the First running back off the board in this mock draft. Now, again, I don't consider this realistic, our, our first mock, the way it played out. I don't think Jordan Davis is going to be there at 25 or close to it. And I certainly don't think a running back is going to not go in the first 56 picks. But anyway, that's how our draft played out last week. And I'm and I'm talking about this now because he was just talking about the draft. Cam Taylor-Britt, a quarter in the third round, is a guy that Aaron Quinn likes very, very much from Nebraska. And then we went receiver, uh, interior offensive lineman. We took a safety, another receiver, and a, and a linebacker. And that's how our draft played out. Now, going back to the tweet, um, best corner in round one is obviously going to be the betting favorite in Vegas. <laughs> I would say the only position, the only thing that's changed over the last couple of days is I no longer think guard is in play for round one. But it could be in round two or three, a day two pick. Because look, Roger Saffold's 33 years old. He's very likely only here for a year. So, this would actually fit uh, Brandon Bean's ammo. What he did last year. What did Brandon Bean do last year? He drafted more about the future than he did uh, about the present. They took Greg Rizzo and Boogie Basham back to back. You're going to tell me that Brandon Bean didn't have the foresight um, a, a full year ago that he was probably going to move on from Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes a, a full year ahead of time. Darrell Williams, even if he played right tackle the entire season and he wasn't forcing the guard because Cody Ford couldn't get it done, which, by the way, that needs to be said. Darrell Williams should have been playing right tackle. He had a slide inside because Cody Ford just wasn't it. But anyway, Darrell Williams was going to be an expensive cap figure this year, no matter what. So you go and you draft Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle in large part because you were preparing for the next year, right? Don't be surprised. To see the Bills, especially if they find a way somehow to address corner before this draft, this draft can and likely will be about the future just as much as it is about uh, the present. So, sure, I'm saying that because I think guard very much could be in play early in this draft, even though they got Bates back because they could be looking towards 2023. Corner, running back, don't sleep on running back. I mean, I'm hearing a lot about Brees Hall. Game changer type running back, Devin Singletary is going to be a free agent after this year. Again, drafting into the future as much as the present. Maybe they know right now 
hey, we don't want to give Singletary a second contract. We don't want to pay big money for a running back. Let's get a rookie in right now. He can help right now, and he'll be the guy in 2023. Um, best linebacker. Look, I'm not going to sit here and be on this tweet. I'm not going to go into a bunch of specific players. Tune in tomorrow. Aaron Quinn, Buffalo Bills mock draft version two. He will deep dive into a lot, um, a lot of these guys who might be around. Uh, these rounds, but yeah, anything can go for the draft, man. And then, uh, Mike gags here, the good, the maneuvering of deals, wide receiver, tight end moves in quarterback room, cleaned up bad baits and offensive line again. Um, boy, now seems like we got weaker in depth when the line is rocking, they could be unstoppable. I agree with that again, null and void point because they got Bates back. And if Fokker could get healthy, I think he's your backup guard. Um, I still, I think Cody Ford is going to have a problem making this team, folks. I really do. Oh, and then he also had in the suite, ugly. Give me cornerback answers, please. Um, again, we've talked about that several times today. You share the same sentiments as a lot of people. I, I agree. The maneuvering of deals. Brandon Bean, yo, this has been an impressive offseason for Brandon Bean. Let's let's just say that. Uh, wide receiver tight end moves. O.J. Howard and uh, Jameson Crowder, good pickups. Quarterback room cleaned up. That's That's another thing, too, folks. We heard about Matt Barkley signing with the Bills. I mean, Matt Barkley kind of gave it away with his own tweet. I didn't like that signing at first. I'm like, please, man, don't, don't, don't let Matt Barkley be the guy. Don't let him be the answer. Don't let him be the answer. You're losing Mr. Bisky. He went to Pittsburgh. We, we knew that was going to happen. I was locked in on Marcus Mariota, which now in hindsight, I get why he didn't want to sign with Buffalo because now he's got a chance to go to Atlanta to start. Um, we, we thought a lot about Ryan Fitzpatrick. And uh, who hasn't signed anywhere? I don't know what's going on with him. He, maybe he's done for all we know. Tyrod went to the Giants relatively early. Um, Teddy Bridgewater went to Miami, where I, I think that's a good situation for him. He won't start the year, but if Tua happens to slip, you know, he's probably going to have a short leash. Teddy might get a crack. So I'm like, there's not a lot of good bat running quarterbacks out there. So to trade for Casey Keenum, Keenum, who's a good backup, he's a good number two. He's played with Diggs in Minnesota. That's a nice little, you hope you never have to prove it was a good move because you hope the guy doesn't have to play. But I like that move a lot, man. I thought that was a really good move, man. Um, Casey Keenan was a nice addition to this team for sure. All right, here, we're, we're just about done. Uh, you know what? I, I, I know why I included this tweet now. Someone called me J-Rock once. He says, their moves have all been logical. Glad to see Beasley gone, even though he was effective on the field. Long term, I'm insanely disappointed. The new stadium is going to be in Orchard Park as opposed to downtown or even a long shot idea of near UB North. Um, all right, well, I'm not going to jump into the stadium talk. We'll, we'll talk about that maybe another time. Uh, we know now the stadium is in Orchard Park. Stadium's a done deal. Bills ain't going nowhere for 33 years. That's the big thing. Um, what else did he talk about? Oh. Glad to see Beasley gone, even though he was effective on the field. I, I don't know. So I, I think what you're saying is you personally didn't like him. I'm going to assume it's because of the COVID stuff, the things he said, his tweets, and things like that. I'll say this. I don't think what Cole Beasley said and tweeted helped his cause any. But I don't know that that's why the Bills are getting rid of him. I, I think it was his age. Um, other things they wanted to do with the cap. And the fact that they could save $6.1 million by cutting him, I think that's the reasons why Cole Beasley's gone. I think he's gone because of salary and football reasons. I don't think he's gone necessarily because of what his stance was on COVID and not getting vaccinated. Again, I certainly don't think it helped him. 
but I don't think that's the reason why uh, he's gone. And by the way, Jameson Crowder, he might end up being another nice low-key free agent here at a third of the cost. I think his cap number is not even going to be, if it is, it's not anything more than $2 million. And Cole Beasley was over six. So they got a guy who's a pretty underrated slot receiver who played on a really shitty New York Jets team for the last couple of years. Um, so that, that was another, you know, really strategic, slick move by our man, Brandon Bean. Um, all right. Last one, last couple here. Best move, and this is from Josh Marcel. Best move is Kansas City kneecapping themselves by moving on from Hill. Can't hurt us in Miami with 2022 Chad Pennington as quarterback. I really don't have much to add on that right now. It's a, it's an entertaining tweet. We'll talk about Miami more in, in uh, future episodes. But to his point, which I did, and there's a reason why I put this tweet up because I did want to hit on it, to hit on this at least. Um, yeah, I think this move hurts Kansas City short term, but I think long term this actually could help them. They're going to have a lot of cap room to do a lot of different things. Maybe improve that defense, get better in other areas. Uh, they did sign Juju Schuster. They're probably going to add another receiver. I wouldn't be shocked if they go wide receiver first round, I think, and they'll be in better cap shape. Look, when your quarterback's making as much money as Mahomes does, and unfortunately, I think this will happen at some point with the Buffalo Bills, when Josh Allen, you're going to have to get rid of some good players that you don't want to because of money reasons. And I think that at least played a factor in Tyreek Hill leaving. So I think, yeah, sure, it hurts Kansas City short term for sure. And if you're a Bills fan right now, and I don't want to get into the whole Kansas City versus Miami thing. Yeah, you're thrilled that he's not. Kansas City's the team you couldn't get over. You can't get over that hump, at least in the playoffs anyway. And they just lost the guy who absolutely terrorizes you. They have like 20 catches for over 300 yards, I think, in the last two uh, playoff games versus the Bills. He killed Levi Wallace. He killed Trey White. So sure, he's gone from Kansas City. That's a win for the Bills. Now, could he have went to the Jets or another team in the AFC, or even better, the NFC, and then it would have been a complete, that would have been a, a W, a capital W for the Bills. So it does suck that he's in Miami, but yeah. And, and look, Tua being Chad Pennington, again, I, I'm going to say what I've been saying on Tua. It's, Bills fans should know better than to call a guy a bust after two years. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that, man. Am I impressed with Tua at this point in his career? No. But I don't think he's as bad as a lot of Bills fans and a lot of Fans around the NFL think he is. I think he's got room to grow. And I think with the right coach and the right system where you can you can uh, groom to the to his strengths, I think he could be a pretty effective quarterback. You're not going to have him slinging the ball up and down the field like you will with Josh Allen. That's a recipe for disaster. But you can set up a nice little West Coast pass, um, quick pass offense, where I think with the speed that Miami has, they can be successful. Um, losing Joe Schoen, this is from Doman Football, will be a bigger front office loss than Dan Morgan and Brian Gain, especially during the draft process. I, I wanted to put that out there. Not, nothing wrong with having that opinion. and really got nothing to add to that. Um, all right, the real Jesse Thomas. The Bills once again signed hometown contracts and focus on the defense. I'd like to have seen them a veteran corner sign, and hopefully Bean will address the cornerback and offensive line via the draft. Overall, almost satisfied. Uh, hometown contracts, I, I, I'm i assuming that you're talking about bringing back Shaq and Jordan Phillips. Because I actually think the Bills did the opposite of that. They let Jordan Phillips walk for more money. I thought that was going to be a priority resigning. They let Levi Wallace walk, whether that was over money or not. I thought for sure if the money was right, they'd bring him back. So 
Not sure about that. But anyway, thank, thank, thanks for the tweet. Real Jesse Thomas. <laughs> Last two here, which got nothing to do. These aren't from fans. I just thought they were hilarious. And uh, and, and I got to share them. Byron Jones, the, the Pro Bowl quarter from Miami, says, me restructuring my contract just to have Tyreek Hill burn me every day in practice with two <laughs> emojis. I thought that was really funny. But And then last but not least, my favorite tweet. So ESPN Sports Center had a tweet um, saying, I've always wanted to play on the same team as my brother. 14 of Dallas would be fire. He's talking about Trayvon Diggs having Stefan come to play in Dallas. And Josh Allen, quite literally, in one word, says no. <laughs> he just says no. Um, Josh, and, and then, of course, you know, when uh, the playoffs happen or the overtime in Cincinnati won and, and they go to the playoffs and, and overtime, you see Josh Allen write pain. Josh Allen does more with less words on Twitter than, <laughs> than any dude I know out there, man. So anyway, look, man, if, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, we're getting out of here right now. If you're a Buffalo Bills fan, honestly, and I'm being serious here, this team, in my opinion, is a good cornerback away from having pretty much a flawless roster. It's not even April yet, folks. It's not even April. We're still in late March. And with the exception of CB2, in my opinion right now, the Bills are locked in at 21 of their 22 starting positions on a football field. And I'll tell you what, if you want to add slot corner and, and slot receiver, they're locked in there too. This team is really good, man. And again, I think there's not a lot of holes on this team. There's not really any holes on this team. Other than corner right now at this moment. They're almost flawless, man. Almost flawless. They've done a lot. And by the way, a new stadium coming. $1.4 billion stadium. This team's not going anywhere for at least the next what, three decades. It's a good offseason. And it is a very good time to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills. A really good time to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate all you guys. And again, I will be back with a brand new episode tomorrow. I'm going to have my man Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Buffalo Bills, Mock Draft, version two. Talk to you guys soon.